Brothers and sisters in the Lord and Savior, we read today from Revelation chapter 20. We continue our series on Revelation. Revelation 20, we began this, uh, I believe, two weeks ago. And we'll conclude it, uh, Lord willing, this morning. We'll read the whole chapter and focus on verses 7 to 15. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. If you have Bibles with you, you're encouraged to open up in God's Word to read that. It will also be on the screen, Lord willing. Uh, but uh, I keep that open before us as we study God's Word this morning. Revelation chapter 20, we begin our scripture reading in verse 1. And we give our attention to the reading of God's Word together. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, for they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and he shall reign with him a thousand years. And now begins our text in verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whom, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. And I'll just read a little further. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there is no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. As far as the reading of God's word, again our focus on verse 7 uh, through to verse 15, as we study uh, God's word together. Well, beloved Lord, as we come to this last half of uh, Revelation chapter 20, um, we admittedly uh, come to a, a rather uh, heavy and uh, sober uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, it is heavy and sober because it speaks um, of the reality that one day every single person will face. It speaks of the final judgment when we will stand before God and God will be upon the throne and all we have ever done will be laid bare 
and we will be judged. This is a reality that is true, uh, not merely based upon what you believe. It's not as if the idea of judgment will happen for those who believe in it or for those who believe in the Bible. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you think will happen. There will be a day when you will stand before the King of Kings, you will stand before God, and He will judge you based upon what you have done and how you have lived. As we study God's Word together, I must admit I am a little bit ready for the new heavens and the new earth. I'm ready to turn the page, as it were, and delve into the focus of heaven. Before we do that, we have to hit this idea of judgment because God's Word hits it first and foremost, but also because we live in a world that just hates the idea of judgment, and we live in a time when the idea of God's holiness is minimized greatly, not only in the world, but sometimes also in the church. God can be gentle and caring with the idea that He is a consuming fire, the idea that He will judge the living and the dead, that sometimes is something we'd rather have minimized or avoided or not spoken of. And so we must hit this topic first and foremost because it's in God's Word and we must preach the whole counsel of God. But secondly, we must hit this topic because, beloved, sometimes the message we least want to hear is the one we most need to hear. Sometimes the things we'd rather skip are the things we must face, that we may understand God and understand Christ and understand ourselves that we may know uh, what is indeed the hope uh, for the human race or what will be the condemnation of the human race. As we study this passage then, we're going to see how Christ indeed will be the ultimate victor, how he will have victory over Satan and he will have victory over all his foes. And we will see the call to be found in him, to stand with him, to find victory in him because there will be victory nowhere else. There will be salvation, there will be protection nowhere else but under the blood of Jesus Christ. And we'll study this as we see it in three kind of points, two main points, For the second will be divided into two. The first will be the judgment of Satan, and the second will be the judgment of the world. The first is the judgment of Satan, the second is the judgment of the world. And under the judgment of the world, we'll see it in two sections. We'll first look at the books, and then we'll look at the book. We'll look at God's judgment upon uh, the world, and then we'll see the book of life and the way of salvation that is available. And so we're going to begin our study on the judgment of Satan, and we're going to pick up in verse 7. We've covered some of these things before from verses 7 to 10. We've looked at this final battle, this Armageddon battle. Uh, it's been remarkable as we've gone through Revelation, um, as we've seen things, and I've, I've had it with uh, the study of Revelation. People have come to me, and they've, they've pointed out to things in our current culture, and they've said it's, it's crazy how what we're studying in Revelation we can see in the world. And uh, it, it is uh, quite something um, that we would have the day before we hit this passage, an attack upon the nation of Israel, and then we'd read about how they would gather against the holy city, and fire will come down from God and devour them. This is a picture uh, that is not merely of a, a small invasion, although that can be a reminder of what is to come. This is the final battle. This is when all the demonic forces will convince the entire unbelieving world to raise up in power against Christ, against his people, and they will be destroyed, and they will lose. 
And the first thing we read about is a new section. If you remember, Revelation has these layers, and on each section of Revelation, we learn a little bit more. We have not read yet about the judgment of the devil, and today we do. This is the new part of this passage, the judgment of Satan. Uh, if you're joining with us today, um, the Christian church, and certainly we as Christian believers, know that Satan is real. Satan is real. Uh, Satan is not another type of God. Uh, Satan was a creature, an angel that fell from heaven in uh, uh, pride and arrogance against God. He remains a creature. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere in the world. But he is certainly an epitome or or focus of evil. Uh, Jesus called him uh, the father of lies. Uh, He is one that Peter warns us, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is real. He's only in one place at a time, but he is ferocious and he tries to kill the people of God. He he pursues you. You are his target. And it may be that you have felt uh, some of his temptations and his accusations already. We believe there is a real uh, devil. In the book of Revelation, the devil is pictured as quite a fierce being. He is pictured as a dragon. And uh, I want to share with you a quote from an author named G.K. Chesterton. And G.K. Chesterton is a Christian, and he's very uh, clever and witty. And he wrote this quote. It says this, Fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. The Bible is no fairy tale. But as the book of Revelation introduces the character of Satan, it is not simply so that we can have an idea of the reality of Satan. If we have lived in this world, we know something of the reality of Satan already. But Revelation is telling us that Satan can be killed, and Satan will be killed. The one who stirs up all this enmity against God. The one between whom God put conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The one who pursues Christians to try to destroy them and snatch them from the hand of God. Beloved, he will be destroyed. For all his acclaimed power, for all his boasted pride, he will face the king of kings and he will be cast into a lake of fire where he will burn literally forever the devil will be destroyed. And there is a reason why we read of the conquest of Satan in Revelation 20 and then move on to the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21. In Christian living and in Christian experience, until the day Christ returns or calls us home, we will constantly have these seasons of spiritual highs and spiritual lows. We'll have times when we draw near to God only to find afterwards our own sinful flesh or the temptations of the world or the temptations of the enemy. They, they kind of destroy that nearness we felt to Christ. I, 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 uh, I'm not a big fan of roller coasters, um, but I've been on enough of them. I still remember the experience. And you're going up this massive incline and you just hear the clicking. If you've ever been on the roller coasters, the little clicking as the cars are pulled up the incline. Click, 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 click. And you, the clicking is kind of ominous, right? Because you know it's taking you up to the high only to launch you from the height into the depths. And sometimes as Christians, beloved in the Lord, we, we find ourselves growing near to God and in the back of our head we hear clicking. 
How long till the fall? How long until the communion with God we experience now is destroyed because we fall again? The Bible tells us that Satan is going to be cast in the lake of fire. When Christ comes again to draw the saints to himself, no one will ever snatch them from his hand again. No one will ever destroy the nearness you have to Christ. The devil will be destroyed. And therefore, the new heavens and the new earth will indeed be glorious. They will be glorious. Beloved in the Lord, uh, that is the destruction of the devil. That's all we're going to hit on right now for that point. Uh, Because our main focus will be a little bit on verses 11 to 15. Let's jump into the second section then, which is on the judgment of man. The judgment of man. Verse 11 continues uh, the story and, and introduces a new section. First, we have this final battle, this Armageddon. And uh, it is not to be understood as if um, there is a sequential judging of all these different beasts. Um, the, the overthrow of the world is, is in a sense, simultaneous. They, they'll be going back to back. Uh, but it describes it for us in, in increasing layers. But, but then we move into this new scene, and the new scene is a, a throne room. And uh, John begins in Revelation 20, 11, saying these words, Then I saw a great white throne. In the Greek, the word throne comes first. Then I saw a throne, great and white, and him who sat on it. Uh, as this vision uh, begins, we first see not God, uh, but the throne. And the throne is a symbol of power and a symbol of authority. If you've ever been into a courtroom, uh, when you walk into the courtroom, there's a bench. They call it a bench. Uh, really what it is, it's like a desk, and behind the desk sits the judge, and it's raised up. It's a little higher than the rest of the courtroom. And it's there because it's a place of authority. It's there because the judge sits in a place of power, and when the judge speaks, their word has authority. Well, the throne of God is the first thing seen in this vision, and it speaks about how God is sovereign, how God is in control, how God has authority, and how his word will be true. It is great and it is white. It is a place of authority. It is a place of purity. The judgment God gives will be uh, without question. In today's courts, we may have an appeal if we don't like what the judge says, but in the heavenly courts, there will be no appeal. Uh, The throne is almighty, and uh, when judgments are made from the throne, those judgments will be final. Uh, Then the Bible describes him who sat on it, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And this is a really neat picture. It doesn't describe Jesus or God. In in, in the New Testament, the throne is called uh, the judgment seat of God in Romans uh, 16, verse 20. No. I mean, Romans 14, it's called the judgment seat of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, And when we think of this judgment seat, sometimes the question comes, who is upon the throne? In the book of Revelation, there's actually an interesting um, uh, picture of the throne because it speaks of it as the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And so we have this idea that both uh, God is the judge, Christ is the judge, God is upon the throne, Christ is upon the throne. It's a little bit of a, a similar thing there pictured. But the only description we get of, of the one sitting upon the throne is that from his face, the earth and the heaven flees. Earth and heaven runs away. Um, this, this is a, a beautiful picture, and it's captured in some of our hymns. I don't know if you remember the song, uh, When Peace Like a River. Uh, but the last stanza of When Peace Like a River is this. And maybe you know it. Uh, you can hum it in your head if you want. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds... Not that, we'll try once more. The clouds be... 
In Revelation chapter 6, it says this in verse 14, speaking of the final judgment. It says, And the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. As the final judgment is pictured, and Christ sits upon the throne, God is upon the throne to judge, the picture given is that earth runs, um, that, that earth is transformed, melts away as it were, uh, before the face of God. Uh, God is seen in tremendous power, uh, tremendous authority. And while the earth runs, the human race may not. The earth and the heavens, as scriptures, flee away. They can't stand before God. But then the vision goes on to say, Then I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. When Jesus pictures the coming of Christ in the book of Revelation, he pictures the wicked as crying out to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills cover us, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb and him who sits upon the throne. And in Revelation 20, we find out there is no hiding. There is no hiding. In the human race, we sometimes think of death as a means of escaping judgment. Um, sometimes people will commit heinous crimes. They will do very, very wicked things, and then they will commit suicide. And they will believe to themselves that by committing suicide, they are avoiding judgment for the evil they have done. Sometimes, uh, people who don't do heinous crimes can think in the same way. Sometimes we can have sins that we hope are never discovered, that we hope we will die before they're ever revealed, as if death would hide our sin. Love, when the Bible speaks of judgment, it tells us that no one and nothing will hide you from the judgment of God. The picture is given in verse 13 of how the sea gave up the dead who were in it. We have not plummeted the depths of the sea in any way. We have discovered far more of earth than we have of the depths of the ocean. And yet the bodies that are lost at sea that no one in the world can find will not avoid the judgment of God. Death and Hades will surrender the death who are in it, the dead who are in it. This is the entire course of the human race back thousands upon of years. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who has ever died, everyone who is on the earth right now, all will stand before the judgment seat of God. And the Bible says that as they stand before these the judgment seat of God, the books are opened. Uh, the books are opened. Um, these books are kind of neat, and we're going to see a contrast in the books. If, 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 uh, if you want to, just quickly, if you have a quick Bible knowledge, go to Daniel chapter 7 and 12. If you can't flip there quick enough, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll read it out to you. But there's a contrast in the idea of judgment between two things. What's spoken of as the books and what's spoken of as the book. Okay? There's a contrast in judgment between the books, plural, and the books, singular. If you have Daniel open, go to Daniel 7, verse 10. Daniel 7, verse 10, it pictures the uh, throne of God, verse 9, 
and God is sitting upon it. And it says in Daniel 7 verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books, plural, were opened. And then it goes on to describe the judgment that will be given. And then in Daniel 12 verse 1 and 2, uh, one especially, but two is helpful. It says this, at that, time, Michael stand, uh, that, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And if you look at Revelation 20, you'll see the same contrast. There's going to be a judgment by the books. And there will be a judgment upon what everyone has done according to their works. That is said twice, verse 12 and verse 13. They were judged, each one according to his works. There will be a contrast, though, between these books, plural, and the other book of verse 12. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And then verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. There is a contrast where the books seem to speak of judgment and the book seems to speak of deliverance. And that's why in our point here, we're going to divide it a little bit into two. The first thing we're going to do is capture the idea of uh, the books. It begins in in, in verse uh, 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Books, plural. And when scholars try and figure out what these books were and try and understand what it might speak of, they come up with a number of of answers and a number of responses. Uh, The first, and they do this by going through Scripture, okay? So when it speaks of the books being opened, they go through the Bible and they say, what does the Bible speak of as the basis of judgment on the final day? What will God judge us by? And this is what they picture as the books. And there's a few things that come through very clearly in the Bible as being basis for judgment. First of all, you might, you might guess it. Does anyone, we read it this morning. Does anyone know what the first general book is pictured as a basis for judgment? We read it this morning. It is the law of God. Okay, the law of God. Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not obey everything written in the law. God will use the law of God, which is the standard of holiness, as a judgment for man. I know there's an evangelist, Ray Comfort. His ministry is living waters, plural. Our church is living waters, singular, but we like this guy because he's really close to us. But Ray Comfort does evangelism. When he does evangelism, he will use the Ten Commandments as an evangelistic tool. He will ask them if they think, if they died, would they go to heaven or hell? Then he begins to work through the Ten Commandments to ask if they've ever told a lie, if they've ever lusted after someone in their heart, if they've ever hated someone in their heart. And he goes through the Ten Commandments and he uses that as a basis to show whether someone will meet God's standard and pass the judgment or not. That is one of the books that is used and spoken of in the day of judgment. will be judged based on the law of God that shows his holiness. Another book that is spoken of in the scriptures as being used as a basis for judgment is our conscience. Our conscience. In Romans chapter 2, we read these words, For when Gentiles who do not have the law... By nature do things in the law, although not having the law, they are a law to themselves, and they show the work of the law written on their hearts. Their conscience also bears witness, and between themselves their thoughts either accuse them or else excuse them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel." In Romans 2, Paul speaks of the day when God will judge the secrets of men, and he says the conscience will play a role. Your conscience will be opened up. It will be a book. And all the things that you have known to be wrong, that you have done, will be revealed. All the times you knew something to be right and you did nothing will be laid bare. 
All the times you carried guilt will be opened up for all to see. And God will judge you based upon these books. Another book spoken of in the scriptures is the gospel of Christ. The gospel will be a judgment upon us. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews spoke of how the law of Moses condemned anyone who broke it on the word of one or two witnesses. And then it says this, of how much worse punishment do you think will he be counted worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? One of the books that will be opened up there will be the gospel of grace. And the question will be, how did they respond to the free offer that God has given of forgiveness in Jesus? Did they see the grace of God? Did they hear of the willingness of God to forgive them and to receive them? And did they harden their hearts against that gospel? Did they refuse the Savior when he went to the cross to make salvation possible for the worst of sinners? There's a book of the law that reveals all that we have done, whether good or evil. There's a book of the conscience that shows what we knew to be right and wrong. There is a book of the gospel that will show if we have rejected the offer of grace in Christ. And the final book spoken of is in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It is called sometimes the book of God's remembrance. It says this in the closing words of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. God doesn't miss a thing. And if your conscience excuses you from doing something sinful, God will not. God knows every action and every thought you have ever taken, And the Bible tells us on the final day of judgment, there will be books opened up in which will be the record of your entire life and your entire being. All you have done, all you have said, all you have thought, and you will stand before God. Some of the old commentators try and describe the type of people who might be condemned when those books are opened up. They describe them as those who rejected, as we spoke already, the offer of grace in Christ. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Weeping over Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. They speak of those who may have procrastinated. Those who may have heard the call of Christ, and they just didn't want to come yet. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Christ gives parables of the end judgment, one of them of a wedding feast. And the wedding feast, remember the parable of the virgins, and five of them are foolish and five are wise. And when Christ comes, the foolish realize they don't have enough oil, and they think they can go out and get ready for Christ's coming at the last minute. But while they're getting themselves ready, Christ returns. And when they come to the wedding feast, the door is closed. There will be people who think they can come to Christ at the last moment who will find when Jesus returns that the door is already shut. And they stand condemned before a holy God. I speak of those who are ashamed to own Christ in public, for Jesus said in Matthew 10, whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. They speak of those who prefer their sin to God's salvation, because John 3 says this is the condemnation. The light has shone in the darkness, and men have loved darkness rather than light. 
They speak of those who went through Christianity in an external fashion. Who lived a life where they attended church and had the externals of religion, but they never really knew the Savior. And for this, they quote from Matthew 7, when people come before Jesus and they say, did we not cast out demons in your name and work wonders in your name and perform miracles in your name? And Jesus says to them, depart from me, men who practice lawlessness, for I have never known you. Beloved, there is going to be a day of judgment. And knowing Christianity is right and waiting will not save you. And going through the motions of Christian living and not truly coming to Christ will not save you. What then does Well, there's another book. If we were to take this idea of the heavenly courtroom, we could almost uh, picture it um, as having maybe a large table on one side, and on that table are all the books, the book of the conscience, the book of the law, the book of God's remembrance, uh, the book of the gospel. All these books that will reveal all the things we've done in our life that is worthy of condemnation. That's what we could picture. One large table with all the books on it. And on the other side, we could picture another table. And on that table, there's just one book. In Revelation 20, it's called the book of life. At the end of Revelation 21, in the very last book, verse, it's called the Lamb's book of life. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it's called the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The second book... The book of life, metaphorically, it's covered in blood. And in that book, there are names. And it's remarkable how it speaks of how we'll be judged based on what is written in the books. And yet, whoever's name is found written in the Lamb's book of life will be saved. Because the beautiful thing about these two tables, one holding all the books of condemnation and one holding the book of life that saves, is that your name will only ever be found in one of those two tables. If your name is found in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, then your name won't be found in the books of conscience and shame and guilt and law. And if your name is found in the books of conscience and guilt and shame and law, then it won't be found in the book of life. All that you've done will be found in these books. All that you've thought will be found in these books. All the secrets you hoped no one would know until the day you die, they'll be found in these books. They'll be described so truly and so really that when you read them through, you will know it's speaking of you. You will remember the day, you'll remember the hour, you'll remember the moment when you rejected God or postponed coming to Christ or rejected His Holy Spirit or quenched the gospel. It will all be there. You'll know it's you. But if your name is found in the book of life, then over all the deeds you've done in the books of law and conscience, there will be another name and it won't be yours. Because what brings you to the book of life is not your works. And what brings you to the book of life is not the fact that you have things written in those other books that would condemn you. What brings you to the book of life is that it is the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Old scholars used to speak of who might be condemned and they pictured those who might be condemned, but we also need to picture those who might be saved. 
What do those people look like? Because the Bible tells us what they look like. They look like a man named Peter, who thought he was so strong in the Christian faith that he'd never fall, who then denied the Savior, met the eyes of Jesus, was broken in spirit, wept bitterly, and came to glory. They speak of Mary Magdalene, who served Satan for so many years that she was filled with seven demons. Seven demons filled her soul as she lived for Satan, and God set her free, and her name is found written in the book of life. All her actions are found on the other table. All her wickedness is found on the other table. If she was a prostitute, as some believe, those actions are seen in the books. But over them all stands the name of Christ. And on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for all those things that would lead to condemnation in the final day of judgment before a holy God. And if you are found in Christ, then over everything you've done for which you have shame and guilt, the blood of Christ is given as a covering, and your name is taken from one table and put into another. It is taken from an area of condemnation, is put into an area of redemption, because it's found in the finished work of Christ. It's found under the blood of the Lamb. And this is the only way that anyone on this earth can ever be saved. This is the only way that anyone will ever be able to face a holy God and survive. The book of life doesn't have a lot of strong people in it. 1 Corinthians 1 says that not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise have been called, but God has chosen the wise, or pardon me, the foolish to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak to shame the strong. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, It is the words of God saying, I will dwell in the high and holy place. The great white throne. I will dwell in the high and holy place. And then it goes on to say this, and also with him who is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Beloved, there is going to be a day of judgment and nothing, nothing, will hide you from the face of God on the day of judgment. But if you are in Christ, then the judge who sits upon the throne is the same one who gave his life to save you and all the sins that would condemn you. He has taken upon himself that you might know what it is to get to Revelation chapter 21 and be part of a bride who has no spot and no blemish, who comes down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, and who knows what it is that God will dwell with man. He dwells in the high and holy place, but also with him who has a contrite and a lowly spirit. Beloved, as we hear God's word today, we have to face and ask the question, We have to hear and ask the question of whether we know our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Are we in Christ? It doesn't matter if you're religious. It matters. But externals don't save us. Hearing the gospel doesn't save us. Even identifying the gospel doesn't save us. 
Repentance does. Repentance is always personal. It's always an acknowledgement that we, we are the guilty. We are the condemned. And then faith saves you. And faith is always personal. Christ is the Savior. His blood is sufficient. His cross is enough. Beloved, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? So many times when God presses upon us by His Spirit, we hold Him at arm's length. We think we can wait just a little bit longer. We think we can just hide that little bit of our heart that we don't want to yield to Christ. And maybe, just maybe, we'll die before it gets exposed. Beloved, there is no protection from the holiness of God in death or anywhere else besides repentance. If God is putting his hand upon your heart and showing you your sin and showing you where you are hiding from God, there is just one remedy. Stop running. Stop hiding. Christ dwells with a broken in spirit. Confess your sins and find your name moved from a table of condemnation to a table of life. From a place where you will never escape to a place where you will never want to leave. Where God will be all in all. And you will be his and he will be yours. There is a final judgment and every human being on the face of the planet will stand before a holy God. And every action, deed, and thought will be on display against the standard of God's law and God's holiness and God's offer of grace. Before that throne None can stand save the judge who sits upon it. And the gospel tells us that the very judge who sits upon the throne has given his life. And if we come to Christ, we may know forgiveness. Beloved, may the holiness of God Drive us to the love of a Savior who saw us in all our weakness and bore all our sin that we might never face condemnation but know the grace of entering into glory. Loving the Lord, this is an evangelistic sermon a sermon for every one of us. We need Christ. And without him there is no hope. May God not allow us to be satisfied outside of him. Come to the Savior and find the grace that is greater than all your sin. Let's join together in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for being a holy God that will not allow Satan or anything that defiles to enter in to the glories of heaven. Father, we confess this morning that we are in ourselves those who would defile. We cannot enter into this glorious 
place where you will dwell. Because, Father, we would wreck it all. And therefore, Father, it is our prayer and plea that it may be the blood of Christ that is greater than all our sin and is the sole foundation of our hope and life. It may be the confidence that we may carry with us even before the throne, the great white throne of God. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to know that as we come to you and as we confess sins and as we cling to Christ and as we return from wandering or backsliding, that, Father, your mercies are new every morning because great is your faithfulness. And there is a book covered in the blood of Jesus in which is written the names of every single soul who has come to recognize the poverty of their own heart and cried out to you for mercy in the finished work of your Son. We pray, Lord, that you will help none of us here on that great day of judgment to stand condemned. You will help none of us here on that great day of judgment to be without a robe of righteousness in the sun. That Father, you will help each and every one of us to know what it is to find our all in the Savior and to find our hope in Christ. And may the power of his victory be greater than all our sin, as you have promised it would be. And may the destruction of Satan, may the overthrow of your enemy, be the overthrow of our foe, and be a gate through which by your grace we enter into a glory we have never deserved and yet has been freely given. May you hear our prayer, may you draw us to yourself, and may we know the beauty of a Savior who is faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.